Julie's doing, just want to let you know she is in Kentucky and she's with her mother who's had to go in the hospital. She's doing, she's improving. So thank you for um, your prayers and for your concern for her. Julie hates being away. She loves you very much and she sends that love to you. And uh, it's awesome um, that you care for her the way you do. I know she's had an impact on so many lives here in our church and uh, she'll be back soon. And uh, thank you for your concern. Just talked to her a little while ago and uh, she sounds great. So pray for her mom, Juanita. She may be watching right now. Get well, Juanita. We're praying for you. And uh, pray for Julie just for as she's away. And pray for me as she's away. Did that sound at all selfish? A little bit? Okay. you got to hold me accountable somewhat because we've been married almost 36 years. So we're kind of connected. So blessed by that and... Uh, so this morning, we're talking about primary identity, primary identity. How many of you have played that game, Two Truths and a Lie? You know this game? It's kind of an icebreaker game. You do it at parties, and, and you share two things that are true about you and one thing that is false about you. And it's not, you think, well, that sounds like kind of a sinful game, Pastor. People are lying. That's not good. Well, what we're trying to do is get you to know each other maybe a different way, right? So what you try to do is you try to tell something that's not true that seems like it should be true and something that is true that seems like it's not true, and you try to be the one to tell the best truth, right? So, for example, for me, it might be that um, I was uh, I, I had remedial math classes in college, had to take those, that I was face-to-face with a lion in Kenya one time, that I lived in the state of Tennessee. Those three things, which one's a lie? Which one? The lion is a lie? You don't think I was face-to-face with a lion? You were wrong, my friend. Well, 10 feet away. Is that close enough? Close enough? Yeah, that's actually true. And uh, the lie is that I lived in Tennessee. Nothing wrong with Tennessee. I just never lived there. And I did have to take remedial math classes, even though I was an engineering student in college. Because I just didn't have enough math in high school, I ran out. And uh, so basically you do that so you know people. I want to know your identity. I want to know what you're all about. I want to know background. And, you know, it, it takes a while to know someone. Sometimes it takes different contexts. And uh, identity is really kind of what's really what you're known as. What are you known as? And it shifts from context, right? That, that you have a lot of different kind of hats that you wear, right? You know, you say, well, my identity is I'm a mother, I'm a father, I'm a child. I'm a worker, I'm a businessman, I'm an administrative assistant, I'm a nurse, I'm a doctor, Um, you're a salesperson, teacher, if you're a student, maybe you're an athlete, Uh, maybe you're in drama, maybe you're an honor student, or maybe you're a dork like me, praise God, Richard Hand, all dorks in high school, anybody? I mean, it's kind of fun, isn't it? Bless is expected of you. Um, But we have these different identities, and they overlap. but some people really we hone in on a primary identity. And um, for some, a lot of women and mothers especially, it's who they're related to, right? These are my children. I'm the mother of Nathan and Hannah. Uh, I'm the father. Uh, or maybe a lot of people it gets to be, this is what I do. This is what I accomplish. These are the things I've achieved. We wrap ourselves up in those things, but really... Your primary identity really reveals where you want to make the most impact and what matters most to you. And really, your primary identity 
is a spiritual question. Because there's really only two identities. You're either a follower of Jesus and therefore a citizen of heaven, or you're not. Those are really the only two spiritual identities that there are. There's an interesting section of scripture we're going to study today in Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 22. And it's one of those passages of scripture where you kind of scratch your head and go, why is this here? If you've seen those passages before, you're like, I don't understand why God included this piece of information. And it's more than just a phrase. It's like a paragraph. And you kind of go, I guess we've got to look at this. And I would encourage you, when you see passages like that, you're reading along the Bible, you go, I don't know why that's here. I don't know why that makes any difference. You need to pay attention. Because usually God wants to say something that maybe you didn't expect him to say. So Acts chapter 22, verses 22 through 29, and we're considering the ideas, what is my primary identity? And in this case, what is Paul's primary identity? God's word says this. Up to this word, they listened to him, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Now surely none of you have ever said that about someone, but maybe you thought it. No, none of you, but people you know probably said that and thought it, right? Um, This is the end of a story we talked about last week where the people of of Jerusalem, the Jewish people of, of Jerusalem are so mad at Paul. They're furious at him. Paul has been sharing his testimony. He says, hey, guys, I was one of you. I was just like you. I was the I was the keeper of the law. I was a teacher of the law. I was basically a professor of the law. I was teaching others. I was so serious that I persecuted people who I thought were wrong about the law, and that included the church of the time. That's how serious I was. But Jesus intervened. Jesus intervened. He met him on a road in Damascus, and he tells this incredible story how Jesus intervened. He says, I didn't just make a decision to change my philosophy. I didn't just make a decision to follow a different teacher. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, intervened in my life. Let me just ask you before we go any further, has Jesus intervened in your life? Because until Jesus intervenes in your life, not much is really going to change. Oh, you can change your allegiances, you can maybe even change your habits, but your basic character is set by whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. Has Jesus intervened? And let me just propose this, he might be intervening right now. You may be face-to-face, heart-to-heart with him right now. And you know he's doing something. I can't conjure that up. I can't convince you. I can't make that happen. I can only interpret for you that maybe Jesus is intervening right now. And he's saying to you, I want you to follow me. I want you to receive this gift of salvation that I've paid for with my blood. I want you to repent and admit that you need it. Has Jesus intervened? You see, Jesus intervened in Paul's life. And he set him on a different course. And the course that he set him on, we talked about this last week, was that everybody's eligible. 
Because for the Jews, they really thought they were the only ones eligible and maybe a few proselytes that could come in, but they were it and no one else was allowed in. And all these other people were so pagan, so awful, so sinful that there's no way they should even talk to them about God. And Paul says, hey, listen, here's what I want you to understand. Jesus told me to go to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, because the Jews aren't going to listen to me. Jesus intervened to save me. Jesus intervened to set my direction. And this just drives them crazy. They can't receive this. Verse 23 says, And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust in the air, let me pause there, so they are just in a frenzy. They're like, taking their jackets and 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 waving them in the air and dust and it's like they're kind of like we're we're like we're we're trying to threaten you they just can't receive that and it's it would be like if someone were to if someone were to impugn your family and your faith and your nationality all at the same time because what paul is saying is listen you're not really all that special. Now, God does have a purpose for you long term, but you're not. He's opening the doors to all kinds of people, not just you. And also, your goodness is not going to get it done. Your ability to keep the law, even though it's better than other people, is still not good enough because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They're furious at him because their whole life and their whole culture has been built on the fact that they're uniquely God's people and that they can keep the law better than anybody else. Now, Paul, Paul's whole ministry is saying, no, that's not true. Jesus Christ had to come pay for us all because he fulfilled the law perfectly. And now he's opened the doors to all kinds of people. So there's a basically a riot happening, verse 24. The tribune, this is a name for the lead Roman soldier in the area, ordered him to be, and his name is Lysias, we'll see that later, uh, Claudius Lysias. The tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined, examined, keyword, by flogging, to find out why they were shouting against him like this. Now, examined by flogging, in simple terms, means they're going to try to beat the truth out of him. This is a brutal tactic. Most scholars believe this is exactly what they did to Jesus prior to crucifixion. And they were about to beat Paul with this whip comprised of many leather cords that are embraided in those are, are sharp bones, sharp metal. And they're literally going to whip him and drag that apart and drag that over his back and lay it open. And many people died. This killed a lot of prisoners. The hope is that they're going to tell him, that Paul would tell him what they wanted to know. So this could be the end for Paul. But Paul has a card to play. Paul has a card to play. Verse 25. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, in other words, when they had tied him up to be able to whip him, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Is it lawful for you to to whip and and tie up a Roman citizen? And this is Paul invoking his citizenship 
at a very critical time. Now, we find out that Paul's a Roman citizen. Uh, back in chapter 16, Paul is from Tarsus in Cilicia, which is western Turkey right now, and that's where he's from. And um, we found out that and because Paul was in Philippi, and Paul had started the church, or he'd, he'd witnessed to some people, a lady named Lydia was really the, the, the beginning of that church, and as he was returning from prayer, he encountered some people, and one of, the, one of those he encountered was a slave girl who could tell the future. And though her owners, her handlers, were making lots of money from this, and Paul discerned that she was filled with a demon, and so Paul cast out the demon, and she could no longer tell the fortune, tell the future. And those who, were, who owned her, who were handling her, were furious because now their way of making a living is gone. And so they put Paul, they take Paul into town, they bring him before the judges, and they decide to beat him and put him in prison. And in the middle of the night, you know the story, right? There's, they're singing praises, and there's this incredible earthquake, and the doors open, and their shackles fall off, and they're free. And the Philippian jailer comes and says, I'm going to kill myself because I'm going I'm to be executed anyway. And they say, no, let's... Let us tell you the hope of Jesus, and as a result, he receives the gift of salvation. His children, his family, and they all are baptized. Well, the next morning, the next morning, the magistrates send the police to say, hey, let's let this Paul guy go, and Silas, his buddy. And he says, no, listen, I'm a Roman citizen. He invokes it there. And they go, what? Roman citizen? So the magistrates have to come down and apologize to Paul which gives him now the freedom, instead of being run out of town, basically, he can go ahead and visit the church and encourage them. He invokes his citizenship for the purpose of his mission of making disciples. It's an incredible scene. Paul doesn't use this until he absolutely has to. See, Paul's, for Paul, his Roman citizenship was a resource to, care, to use carefully to achieve his mission. It was just a resource. It wasn't his primary identity. And you may wonder, like me, why in the world does he wait until they're about to lay his back open? If it were me and they're hauling me off to do that, I am shouting at the top of my head, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. Hey, and I'm showing whatever identification I have. And we don't really know what his identification was. There may have been a, there was like a wooden, like almost like a dog tag you had that had your registration on. He may have had that. But also, if you claim to be a Roman citizen, it was proved that you weren't, they executed you. So that was a pretty serious thing to try to do. So Paul, being a Roman citizen, he tells him he's a Roman citizen, but he waits until the last minute. Matter of fact, he waits until they've already violated his rights, which is to chain him up. That violated your rights as a Roman citizen. And he tells them, is it right for you to do this? How could you do this? And you think the reason he probably didn't do this is because of what happened at Philippi. See, Paul didn't invoke his citizenship there until after the earthquake. So I'm wondering if here he is in Jerusalem, same thing's happening, if he's waiting to see if God's going to do something supernatural. He leaves room for God to act to see what might happen. And then at the last minute, he uses this card, this last play that he has to say I'm a Roman citizen he's waiting giving God room to work and then he uses the resource God has given him to avoid literally being killed because the mission is that important the mission is that important 
The other thing about his citizenship that's interesting that we'll see in the coming days is it gave him the right to appeal his case all the way to Rome, which was his goal. He wanted to go to Rome, even if as a prisoner. He wanted to get to Rome to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Verse 26. When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? He said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. See, here's the thing. Roman citizenship was a much bigger deal than even American citizenship. Roman citizenship means you were really of the elite, the ruling class. It would be kind of like you had mistreated a government official, like a congressman or a senator. It was, it was almost that high. To be a Roman citizen, you didn't just walk into it, right? You didn't just show up and get to be a Roman citizen. What happened was you usually had to either supply great service to the nation of Rome, some great thing you could offer them, or you had to buy it. Or some would say bribe someone to get it. So for Paul to be born a Roman citizen means that his parents, most likely his father, were of the elite class. Have either were very wealthy, most likely were very wealthy, probably had an important role. So Paul had status that he wasn't using. It had to be wealthy for him to study at the feet of Gamaliel. We talked about that last week, a very high-level teacher. All this, Paul isn't even using. He doesn't see that his status. He doesn't see the, the um, status of his parents as, a way, as his primary identity. Rather, he sees his primary identity as a citizen of heaven. And he uses everything he has in order to achieve his mission of sharing his identity with others. So let me ask you. What is your primary identity? There are a lot of things, no doubt, but what is your primary identity? What is the core of who you really are? It could be a lot of different things, a lot of different parts of your life. Maybe your primary identity, you really, you really that's your career. What you do, what your job is. I like Dr. Stephen Smith's quote, one of my preaching mentors, um, when he talks about this idea of identity and career. He says this, make your vocation your avocation so your vocation can be making disciples. Make your vocation your avocation and your vocation can be making disciples. Here's what he, what he means by that. Your job, what you do to earn a living, what you're trained to do, as important as it is, you should see it as a way to help you make disciples. Because your main goal, your main identity should be as a citizen of heaven and someone who wants to populate heaven. So whatever your job is, wherever you go to work, whoever those, whoever the, whatever relationships you have, your goal is to help those people see Jesus and to help support your lifestyle of disciple-making. That's really what your goal should be. That's your primary identity. 
you're not really defined by what you do or who you're related to. Not really. Sometimes we can vacillate on this a little bit. You ever struggle with this? Well, some days, especially on Sunday, man. Matter of fact, if we did a poll right now and we were to ask everyone in here, would you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, as a citizen of heaven? Probably most of you would say yes. It's true today, but is it going to be true tomorrow and throughout this week? Or do you think of yourself as whatever you're going to be doing tomorrow and the rest of the week? We get in this zone sometimes where we're vacillating between which one we really are and which identity we're really going to live out. And sometimes our true identity, if you're a follower of Jesus, gets buried beneath a lot of other stuff. And a lot of other things become really important. When you struggle like that, the reality is we're struggling with what the Bible calls idolatry. It's so insidious, sneaks into our lives like a serpent and tells us that something good is something that we have to have in order to be happy. Right? The enemy doesn't shout out, hey, you have this bad thing and ruin your life, does he? He rather sneaks in and says, listen, this is what you need to worry about. And oh, by the way, you have to have this to be happy. That's why when we lose some of the things we think we must have to be happy, it's God saying, listen, I've already given you everything you need. There are so many good things that become that can become idols in our lives. Income. Nothing wrong with income. It's just if, it, if you worship it and you have to have it to be happy, it's probably an idol. People, family can become idols. I have to have you. I have to be near you in order to be happy. And then when you lose a family member, you're crushed. No doubt it hurts. The reality is, is Jesus enough or isn't he enough? The question of identity reveals our idols. Reveals what we really believe that we are. You know, our culture today says, you know, your identity is your gender identity. And, well, by the way, you can choose your gender identity, which you can't. It's pre-wired at birth. But your most important identity, your primary identity, is who you are spiritually before God. See, the greatest citizenship you could have is the citizenship of heaven. I mean, think about it. The benefits are far more than any retirement benefit you're ever going to have. It's incredible that you get to live forever in a perfect setting. It's an identity you can't even lose, and you certainly cannot earn. We need to spend a lot more time resting in the reality of that identity. I love Tim Keller saying this. He says, Christianity is the only identity that is received not achieved so everything else you do you try to earn that you try to build that you build that career you build that uh, that hobby you build yourself up but christianity is simply receiving it's saying jesus i repent of my sin and i need to receive the gift of being your son your daughter have you received that gift have you received that identity you need to make you need to make your primary identity that of a citizen of heaven. 
See, when you get this backwards, you know what happens, right? You try to get Jesus to support all your other stuff, right? Jesus, you need to help me be successful in my career. Jesus, you need to fix this relationship problem. And until you do, I'm going to struggle to be happy. Jesus, you need to give me what I need in order to give me my best life now. Listen, Jesus has already given you your best life now. He's given you life. Don't be confused by what the world wants to put on you. Matthew 6.33 says, but seek ye first, what? The kingdom of heaven and its righteousness and all this other stuff, all these other things will be added unto you. Philippians 3.20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Roman citizenship mattered. American citizenship, citizenship matters. It does. You should be a great citizen. You should be the best citizen. But neither matters as much as your citizenship in heaven. All those are vehicles in order for you to populate heaven and for you to serve out your mission that Jesus has given you. You may ask the question, so what, what is the value of my citizenship? What is the value of my, my other identities, my job, my, my family, my connections? What is my relationships? Let me just give you three areas and three ways to think about this. First, as I said earlier, your career should be your avocation to support your vocation of making disciples rather than a way for you to build up your prideful wealth and feel good about yourself. Your career matters. It does. You should be building things, doing things. You should be the best worker there is. But your goal should be to make disciples. That's what it should be. Second, your role in your family should be used to influence your family to follow Jesus. Not to build a family that will make you feel good about yourself and never lead you. It's easy for me to say my kids all live at least 1,600 miles away. And we're thrilled about that. We hate it that they're gone, but for them to launch, to go do what God's called them to do is the goal, right? Third, your role if you're an American citizen or whatever citizenship you are is to use your citizenship to oppose evil, to preserve life, and religious liberty. That's your goal. That's how that's supposed to work. That's why God has given this privilege to be in this country today and to live in this amazing place. That's what we're trying to do. You say, well, how do I know? How do I know what my primary identity is? I encourage you to do this. Answer this question. Where do I get my peace and sense of well-being? Right now. What would give you the most peace and sense of well-being? What are you crying out for? What are you saying, God, I need this in order to feel good about myself. I need this to feel like I'm okay. That's your primary identity. If you can say to Jesus, I just need peace. And maybe you've buried that primary identity and there's a lot of other stuff in the way. I just want to encourage you to say, Jesus, I just need you. I need to know your presence right now in this place. I need to feel like you're with me. And listen, you say, well, I don't know about this whole feeling thing. Listen, you should feel something as a follower of Jesus. Amen? You should. Make him your primary identity. Because if you don't, you're going to be miserable. 
There's few things more frustrating than trying to live in this world and that world than having this priority and that. Make him your priority and everything else will fit around. It's going to be costly. You may have to change some things. You may have to make some adjustments. Wouldn't it be great, though, to know this is who I am and this is what I'm going to live out? Again, because if you don't, you've really devalued what Jesus did on the cross. Next Sunday, we're going to do the Lord's Supper. So important as we celebrate this incredible thing that God, Jesus has given us to remember him. That's when we identify and say, Jesus, you're, you're my primary meal. I'm taking into you, your body and your blood. I'm taking that into myself. This morning, if you're wrestling with this, I want to encourage you. The only reason you're wrestling with it is because Jesus is moving in your life. If he wasn't in your life, you wouldn't care. But if you're wrestling with this today, I urge you to say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be my primary identity. And I'm not going to worry about the adjustments I need to make. I'm going to trust you to lead me to make them. And I'm going to find my peace and my well-being in you. If you've never received this, if Jesus has never intervened in your life, I want him to keep intervening right now. Would you receive him? Would you say yes to Jesus? Yes, I I know I'm a sinner and my goodness is never going to get it done. But Jesus paid to make me good. And I want to receive that payment. It's simple as saying yes to that invitation. It's not something I can convince you of. It's something you have to respond to that Jesus is doing. Love to chat with you, interpret what he's doing, help you understand what he does he came to give you a new identity to rebirth you as his child would you bow with me heavenly father we can't believe that you would choose us it's hard for us to understand why you jesus would die for us why you would pay a price that we could never pay why no ethnicity No ability to keep the rules is going to be pleasing to you. And why you paid to make it all right. Jesus, make, we want to make our primary identity you. Your child, a citizen of your kingdom. God, I pray for those who are struggling with this today and they say, you know what, I I don't know how to do that. Oh, Lord. Draw them to yourself. Help them receive this gift. And for those who have buried that primary identity way down deep, Lord, help them dig it out. Encourage them. The most important citizenship they could have is a a citizen of your kingdom and a member of your family. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Would you stand with us as we sing? Faith can move the mountains, faith the mountains move, we come with expectations, waiting here for you, you're the Lord of all creation.
So grateful for this praise team. Give them another round of applause. We just appreciate them and all that they do. And uh, grateful for our team back in the booth, John and Mung and Brian upstairs, to make this special. Because it is special to gather here with you. The question now is what happens now? What will you do with what God has been doing in your life today? Will you live out that primary identity this week? We've all been there, we've all struggled with this. I want to encourage you this week, make Jesus Christ, being his child, his follower, your primary identity this week. If you have questions, I'd love to chat with you. Let's pray. Father, we lift up those in this sanctuary, Lord, right now who are hurting, who are confused, who are challenged, Lord. You are the God, Lord, of order. You're the God of wisdom, Lord. You're the God who heals. Oh, Lord. It's so good to know you. So good to be a citizen of your kingdom. Draw people to you, Lord, who need to make that decision to receive that gift. We're excited about what you're doing here. In Jesus' name we pray.